We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm through! That's Roth! Happy New Year, Roth! Hey, man. Happy New Year. How, how's Happy it going? Happy New Year to you. You live in a zoo. How no, you hey, doing, man? That's not how the song goes. That's very... <laughs> God damn it. Happy... Uh, this will post the anniversary of the Capitol riot. What are you going to do in celebration of the first anniversary <laughs> of the Capitol riot? Maybe maybe wear some Drakkar Noir... And uh, and go to like a Bennigan's or something like that. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to a Bass Pro Shop and assert my constitutional rights to make everyone upset there. Did I, I, I think it's like that's what that's what the founding fathers would have wanted. Did I ever tell you I went uh, to a Bass Pro Shop tonight? Ate at the restaurant. At yeah, the Bass that's Pro Shop? A, that's a classic. Anytime I have asked for restaurant recommendations in a city that I uh, do not live in, people are like, "Oh yeah, you got to go to the Bass Pro Shop there." Yeah, they had alligator fritters. I was like, oh, I'm going to order those because I wanted to be Mr. Exotic. And then I was like, these aren't really all that good. It wasn't like, it wasn't disgusting. It was just unmemorable. Yeah. And I expected my first bite, I expected it to bite me back, but it didn't happen. No, not I, transporting in any way to the, the Bayou fan. You thought that you would like just wake up in hard target. <laughs> That's right. That's a good movie. Our guest, our first guest of 2022 is an old guest. It's GQ sports writer, Tyler Tynes. Oh. Hi, Tyler. How oh, are you? Nice. Listen, y'all know what it is. I don't know why y'all got me on this podcast talking about all this white shit, but you know what? I'm going to allow it. <laughs> I'm going to allow it today. I, I don't know if it's a good way to start my 2022 with this type of just filthy shit y'all talking about, but, you know, I'm just here. A, it's not it's, a uh, visual medium, so our listeners can't see this. Tyler uh, is wearing a ski mask right now, just absolute balaclava mode to the max, which I respect as a choice for a podcast guest. I, I have to say that it is WFT colors, or the weft, as I like to call them. So <laughs> it seems a bit out of character for an Eagles fan, Tyler. Listen, man, it's COVID in the walls in New York City. You got to pull the mask up. It's a ski mask. It's a robbery every time I'm in town. Come on, stop it, man. And plus, you know, Drew, last time we talked, you said you don't wash your drawers or, or your legs or whatever. So, That's I, right. you know, I got to I got to stay away. Keep keep six feet. You know what I was doing? I, I, I was... I was in the shower like a few months ago after we had that podcast, and I was instinctively washing my thighs, and I was like, wow, I should tell Tyler. I mean, it occurred to me that I was washing my legs. I was like, I should tell Tyler that I'm washing my legs. But then I was like, Tyler's going to be like, why were you thinking of me in the shower? But I, honestly, Tyler, I think of you in the shower every day. Don't so tell me that, man. Stuff. Don't tell me that. <laughs> hey, Tyler, uh, this week dropped an enormous <laughs> profile of Toronto Rappers, <laughs> Toronto <laughs> Rappers GM. <laughs> This is already going fantastic. Toronto rappers <laughs> oh, oh, did it boy. again. It's all right. It's all right. We did it again. No. Toronto to... Raptors GM Masai Ujiri. And uh, it's a very, very long profile. I suggest that you read it. And we got questions for you, Tyler, about Masai Ujiri. Are you ready to answer them? Tell me what's going on, man. All right. All right. So uh, let's start at the beginning because uh, Masai uh, grew up uh, – his parents never wanted him to get into basketball. They wanted him to play soccer because he was born in Africa. And he said to you, you, you know, Africa is a soccer continent. You want, you want to, once you're there, you, you, that's, that's where you get pushed. His parents didn't want to get him to basketball. And they hilariously bought him all kinds of NBA tapes, like old tapes of like Olajuwon and shit, to discourage him from loving basketball. Like there, it was like the, uh, like an old man, like locking you in a closet with a pack of cigarettes. Like, oh, you like basketball so much. Here's all the basketball you want, <laughs> lad. So he ended, they ended up backfiring, and of course, he's now the most revered uh, general manager in the sport. What do his parents think of uh, basketball now? Now that he's a massive success, did you ever ask him that? You know, it, it, he has a way about him. 
where he doesn't really react too expressively to anything else. It's just a wink here, a nod there, half a smile. And so we were talking about how he grew up and, you know, I was like, are your parents proud of you? Like, are they proud of the shit you're doing now? And he essentially was like, you know, I've always... I've always had a warning when I was doing something wrong. And if he wasn't doing so well in school, his mom would say, you know, put the basketball away, put the basketball away. And now he makes so much money that he can feed an entire village if he wanted to. And so he he said, you know, basketball is feeding a lot of people now. So I guess I'm doing all right. And so I'm sure they're proud of him. Uh, You also wrote that uh, Jerry told you, he said, or you wrote, you said, he always had a sense that basketball would be the thing he could use to affect change. And... I think he has done that through philanthropic efforts, right, back home. But do you think that anyone can use basketball to affect change in a meaningful, lasting way? I think it depends on what you're asking, right? Um, I think if you're looking for something radical, I think if you're looking for something monumental and life-changing, I think it's very hard for athletics to affect the way that our systems can actually behave you know, through, throughout any society. I think if you're talking about piecemeal, I think if you're talking about um, education for kids in Nigeria through Masai Ujiri's Giants of Africa program where he's putting basketballs all over the continent, um, I think it means something. And I think meaning something doesn't mean, you know, it's not a problem. You can't affect a macro level thing. Like, it's just not going to happen. Basketball's not going to move the world over. But if it makes a difference to one person, that's the reason he's doing it. So I right. can't really find any fault in it. No, because I, I was thinking, I was thinking about that as it pertained to the 2020 season and the Bucks uh, staging their wildcat strike, and then they managed to coax the Wisconsin legislature into opening uh, the Bucks arena as I, I believe it was a testing site um, during during the pandemic, and then and then the the government reneged on that after the NBA season was over, and it felt like it felt a bit like a fearic victory that uh, that lockout. And so you were just talking about, you know, it's very hard to. Uh, to cause macro change, affect macro change, using just the sport itself, but on a much more uh, piecemeal, t- uh, you know, individual level, it it is possible. So, I guess uh, the question I would have is: Is there a way to step up from just individual change to affecting real countrywide global change, or is that just really not ever going to be possible? I think it depends on what you're asking for, right? Like. I think you are asking a labor pool of mostly black people to figure out a way to change something. And I think at least from labor pool and then going up, a lot of these people don't care about that. And that's okay. Where the people who kind of come to work for the NBA, who put the product on the floor, they don't really have to care about affecting macro change in different countries in this country, you know, if they don't want to. They're just black people playing basketball. I think for a league, whether it be the NBA or the NFL or any other league, there's power there. There's power in a billion dollar corporation doing anything. Right. And so if the NBA wanted to, they could shift something, but it's not something that's going to happen. I feel like it's asking the wrong thing. Like it's a category error where the leagues are concerned, just in terms of like what their priorities are or like just as any business, like what their priorities would inherently be. There's like this whole, you know, sort of like, I mean, it's not a good faith movement, but that broader sort of like right wing idea of like woke capital as like a social force (laughs) and all that, like because like whatever Lockheed Martin has a diversity, equity and inclusion workshop that everyone has to do. (laughs) It doesn't like those two things are effectively unrelated to me. I mean, the idea the thing with the NBA is just that, yeah, it's the most high profile like 
you know, like, or one of the most high profile ways that you can see a black person in a sort of a white dominated culture. And so I think there's like expectations of it that are strange to me in terms of like what you would actually ask for it to do beyond well, advocate for itself and advocate, you know, have the players advocate for themselves. Yeah, well, especially unfair, you know, in terms of like asking the players to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it goes into, you know, what you expect when you see it, because it's much different than football. It's much different than, than black people in any other sport. This is basketball where white suburban kids want to be like Michael Jordan, where they're trying to emulate Allen Iverson. They think that buying a ticket, buying merchandise brings you a sort of like proximity to these people into this league, into these players, into their culture. And within that, like nobody cares past that. Like everyone wants to just emulate what's on the court. And so the league has no incentivization to really change anything at all. I mean, if they cared about doing so, we would be doing it right now in the throes of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, but so it's always going to be an unfair characterization for the labor, for, for the black folks who are most of the league. But for everybody else, I don't know if they really care about it. Well, yeah, it's something that we, we had talked about. I think we had talked about with you where, you know, the NBA has no problem uh, accepting fans and media sort of treating them as the more enlightened league of the four, uh, even though they essentially, you know, they're, they're more than happy to have that reputation. And they don't, they don't like fine Greg Popovich for taking a shit on Republicans or anything like that. Like, the, like Roger Goodell would be a bit more heavy handed about it. But Adam Silver sort of lets that go because it's easy for him to keep that reputation while really not doing a whole lot behind the scenes to, like, you know, help it. You know what I mean? What would he have to do? I mean, like, it's they could they backed into that, you know, like most enlightened league status, like just by dint of not being psychotic. What I'm saying, like, Roth, is that institutionally psychotic. What I'm saying, Roth, is that I expect Adam Silver to get rid of the Senate filibuster. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. like. Adam Silver must act. I know he listens to the podcast, and I know that our words carry a lot of weight with him. Uh, I want to get back to uh, Masai Ujiri, because he started off in Orlando. I believe that was the first NBA team he worked for. And um, when he got there, he said said to you, he said that when he he went from the Magic to the Denver Nuggets, the Nuggets were going to pay him $40,000. And he said to you that the Magic, who employed at the time, said they didn't have enough money to keep him at $40,000 a year. Did you talk to the Magic about that? Did they confirm that number? No. I mean, I talked to the man about it. I talked to the man who got paid. You know what I mean? So I definitely didn't call the Magic and see if, you know, in 2000 and whatever the year could be, were y'all giving out $40,000 bands to Messiah's year? No. The man who got paid said he got paid that much. That's good enough for me. That's also not like a crazy – like that is probably what – a like a video coordinator or somebody like that in an organization Certainly. would get paid. Oh, it I totally fu- believe it. It, it is totally funny to think of like literally Betsy DeVos getting on like a phone call with him and being like, "I don't think we can go to forty two, Masai." Like, I you know, obviously, good luck in Denver. <laughs> right. Just, just just playing hardball. We got a business with, to run with the quality here. control yeah, assistant right. over just blogger money. And then uh, he went to Denver. He became the GM, and he was one of the lowest paid execs while he was in Denver. And he said to you, he said. Uh, Tyler, he said, that was my foot in. Who am I to stand asking for money? This is a position you dream about getting. What are we going to do? Fight over this. And when he said that to you, did he sound resigned that that was just sort of the way things were? Or, you know, how did it make you feel when he told you that? I think it makes sense for the man you're talking about. I mean, this is somebody who, you know, was born in England, grew up in Nigeria, 
and became this international figure before he was 22, 25 years old. Like this was his lifestyle. And so just to right. get into the NBA as somebody who, you know, he loved what his he loved these tapes of Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson and all these guys. Like he didn't he didn't know things like this could exist. Right. Like he didn't he didn't know the NBA was this big, was this brilliant, was this beautiful. And so to see that he decided as a child he had to make this his life. And so forty thousand dollars to Masai Ujiri was like he was like, look, if that's what it is, that's what it is. I still got some money from my pro basketball days, you know, in Finland and England and some other places that he barely calls real basketball. Um, that was going to hold him over. He slept on the floors of, with other scouts in Belgrade, uh, cold, like shapeless floors, just so he could see some random prospect playing a gym no one's ever heard of. I mean, that's that was the dedication he had to have to at least get to this far and Watching him work a lot in Toronto over almost a week there, it's clear he doesn't. He still doesn't let up from from that moment to now. How so? Just in the sense of like how he works, um, it's nonstop. I mean, a car is picking me up at at five a.m. to bring me to a workout, and this man is doing at the OVO Center. He these these two Home Depot buckets that he was holding felt like they would pull your shoulders into hell. And it, it was at least like a 50 meter to 100 meter, you know, circle that we were doing. I did the workout with him while I was up there. That oh, is, you did? That is no fucking joke, man. I was, I was sitting, I had, it was 5.30 a.m. I have green tea. I'm in some Birkenstocks. It's cold as shit. And he looks at me after I look into the dumb, uh, you know, into the Home Depot bucket to see there are dumbbells in the Home Depot bucket. And he's like, no, 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 no. The trainer comes over. He's like, you should carry it around. Masai is off to the side kickboxing for his rest period. As one does. As he watches me struggle to do this ridiculous routine. And it was only one of like five or six pieces over 45 minutes with kickboxing intervals that he was doing. Did you, were you able to complete the workout? Could you pick up the bucket? Like if it's a bucket full of fucking dumbbells. Come on, come on, man. I ain't no sucker. (laughs) <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> it's also funny because that's like such a celebrity profile thing that you'd have to do where it's like, I did bear crawls with Keanu Reeves. But the idea that this is like an exec whose workout is kicking your ass is like, it's humbling, obviously. Although it's like, there's obviously a lot. Um, it's not like Daryl Morey's workout. Also, also watch, watch your mouth. Nobody said it kicked my ass. All right, sure. Yeah, that's right. Oh, did you, did you outwork out him? I ain't outwork him. I ain't a professional athlete. I'm a professional rider. I'm just saying... I ain't no sucker. <laughs> did you did you have a kickboxing match with him? Did you kickbox him into Saturn? No, we ain't do no kickboxing, man. But see, see, I mean, you could have gone one step further in your journalistic journey and challenged him to a to a kumite bout. You know, the next time I'm up north, I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to duel if that's what it's gonna have to be. Uh, was- you wrote that it, uh, that he learned a lot working under Brian Colangelo when he was in Denver. Did you ask him about Colangelo's? Burner account that got him fired in <laughs> Philly. You know, it didn't come up. I will give you a story, though. Please. Uh, when I first got there, so, you know, we started the day at 5 a.m. We didn't end the day until around midnight. Um, oh, and so as we get to around 9 a.m., he's showing me around the Scotiabank Arena before some of his morning interviews. Um, and we start going like a route that didn't seem to make sense. And he was telling me how, you know, a lot of games he doesn't watch in the crowds. He watches with the video people on a burgundy couch in the basement of the Raptors arena. Uh, and I'm like, cool. And he's like, I want to show you the room. As we get off this elevator, as people are saying, you know, run for prime minister, 
he is zigzagging around the arena. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I want to show you where I was two minutes before Kawhi hit the shot on game seven to beat your Philadelphia Sixers. I was like, why do I need to see that? (laughs) (laughs) Why, why, Why does that interest me? unprecedented aggression out of nowhere we didn't really speak that much for the first three four hours of the thing the first meaningful thing this man said to me was i'm gonna show you where my team whipped your team's ass and so why why didn't you speak for the first three to four hours he's too busy uh, carrying dumbbells he's too busy doing uh you know shoulder you know rotating shoulder presses in the practice facility you know excuse me for not interrupting the man's time but was it, was it a three to four hour workout? Did he work out? It was, it was like a, it was like an hour workout. Um, and then you know he did the morning shows, and as we we're going to the morning shows, he you know is showing me this arena. And every twenty five seconds, he's stopping, and he's like, "And this is what was happening in the game." And I was right here, and a person in the press room was yelling, and I was like, "What's going on?" And I said, "Oh my god!" And then he gets to the couch, and he's just like, "And as I sat down, you heard the arena was quiet, and then it was just a sonic boom." And that's when I know we beat the Sixers' ass. And I'm like, all right, man. It's, it's 9 a.m., man. You don't have me fucking working out. You know what I'm saying? You about, you about to have me running out my goddamn Birkenstocks. At least bullshit. I only have 15 more hours of you bringing that up to me for the rest how, of my day. How was the couch? Was it a nice couch? Or does he deliberately have like just a complete piece of shit couch that like wouldn't be fit for a dorm room? You think this is the circus, Drew? Like, what, what no, I know, guy, I know guys who are like... What, what guys you know that, like, that's, that's on the shitty couches? Like, yeah, guys who like, they're like, they're, you know, they're, they're deliberately not fancy. Like, they're not going to, well, I'm not going to watch this on a leather couch. Like, it has to be like, it's, it's like, it's like a couch you'd find, like in Target. It's a regular couch. Oh, it's a, it's a, a regular, regular, regular couch. Find couch. a new slant. Regular couch with the video guys. He watches the games. The Target couch, you're like, this is a pretty nice couch for Target for like a week. Ah, are you I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I see a Target couch and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this could fit in my house these days. <laughs> I do know um, what you're talking about, though, in terms of like, isn't it like, was it John Harbaugh that like really ostentatiously slept on like a military cot in his <laughs> office for a long time? That that was like a point he felt like he needed to make. Like, I think that that's a thing that coaches do. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Joe re- Gibbs did, of course. Yeah. I don't really get into white nonsense, so I, I, I can't really call it. You know, <laughs> I, I, don't know no, I don't know black folks sleeping on motherfucking cots. All Harbaugh. You agreed to come on this band. podcast. The name of this podcast may as well be white nonsense. <laughs> There's two more things I want to ask you about uh, Masai Ujiri. Yeah, for sure. Uh, David Thorpe of True Hoop, he told you uh, there was a club in Phoenix a lot of players would always love to go to. It was a place I did not want my guys to go to. He was training guys at the time, the night before a game. So I called Masai, who said, of course he went to that club, because that's where players went. What was the name of the club? What kind of club was it? It's a club, man. You ever you ever been outside, Drew? No, 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 Come no, on, no, 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 no. Come was on, man. You've been to a club, dog. Was it a nightclub or was it a titty bar? Come, come on, man. First of all, I don't. I'm want to know. If it was a titty bar, you think I would tell your ass that it was a titty bar? Yes, I would. <laughs> I would. I want you. I, I just, want you. I just understand. I, I, I understand it to name be a club. Of it. I understand it Who to the... be a club. That's all I could tell you. I understand. Oh, it to all be right, a club. All right. Listen, man. If you if you know how NBA circles work. Certain guys get to certain cities and they only go one place. If you're in Miami, you're only in one part of the city where a lot of the people be at. You know what I'm saying? Where LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, when they were winning in Miami, they only were eating at like Prime 112 or whatever the okay. restaurant is called, right? Um, 
Every city has a place. Even Philadelphia athletes, every all of these cities have a place. In New York, there are restaurants that have back rooms that take the nets. Like, come on, man. Have you uh, have you been to many of these places, <laughs> or have you been to some of them? You hear this, motherfucker? Yeah, I've been to a few. No. I've I I had some steak with some ballers. Was it fun? That's Maybe what you're looking for, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we are. We are, no, we yeah, asked I, you. I, I, I have been to some of these places. I think. You know, the only thing on my list of places that I want to go, I want to go to uh, Udonis Haslam's restaurant right outside of Miami and eat some some chicken wings. What is the name of the the restaurant? Is it called Udonis's? Uh, no, I, 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 I don't I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it's Fahrenheit. It's a, a Fahrenheit nice 811 or something like that. I think I don't remember what it is. Googling Udonis Haslam restaurant <laughs> is my role on this podcast, basically. That's where I help. Um, but you can keep it's, talking. I'm just going to find out what the name of it is. Uh, it's time for the last uh, deep Masai Ujiri question. Uh, and then we'll get on to then we'll get on to the really 800 dumb degrees. And 800 like, degrees. That's what it is. Yep. Eight, I said 811 Ooh. Fahrenheit. My fault. Yeah. 800 degrees. That must be like like the temperature of the pizza oven. So it, really no, hot. you know they got some wood pizza and everything. I heard. You know the people like it. My man Cam Wolf down there, NFL Network's finest. He be eating there. So also, uh, you know, he played for the Heat in 800 degrees. Good job. Hot. Good oh, job. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's think good. about that's a good, big, man. I'm yeah. sensing there's a there's a connection there. So when you asked uh, you you asked uh, Masai Ujiri about uh, the finals win and when he was harassed by a cop after that win, which essentially ruined the night for him. And what he said to you was, "What tells me is that it doesn't matter who the hell you are; it's real. Sometimes you just think it cannot happen to you. You think you're being careful, you're doing the right things, and you think you're in the right place, and you just cannot imagine happening this this happening to you. And now I know it can happen to anybody." this color have you personally ever felt like it can't happen to you have you ever been in a spot where you're like okay th- this is not this is not something that can happen to me i mean yeah when i was like nine um yeah you know man look man i went to an all boys white jesuit school in north philadelphia i got called a nigga a long time ago and so i mean i i think it just depends on where you from it depends on your background it depends on what your story is you know um Every black person in the world ain't getting caught out their name at 10, 11 years old. Some people don't go through this until they in their 20s. Some people don't go through this until they in their 30s. You know, God bless them if they do. But I think that was a very eye-opening moment for Masai. I think that was a moment for him where you have reached the apex of your life. You were, you know, sleeping on floors in Europe 20 years ago. You had to trade maybe the best player in franchise history away for a season. None of this shit is supposed to actually add up. It's the biggest gamble in recent sports history. You actually win down right. o- down 0-2 to the Bucks. You know, seven games against the Sixers. You win on the road in, in Oracle Arena in the last fucking game ever there. That, I mean, this shit matters, right? And so he goes down to the floor and he just, he sees all of his dreams coming to fruition. And he gets harassed by some cop. I mean, I think no matter what he has ever been through in his life, that's a moment that is always going to shape the rest of your life. That's a moment that's always going to linger. I mean, we were sitting there talking about it and, it, it, you know, he wants to move past it, but he knows what that shit felt like, man. And nobody, it never feels good. I mean, I've been on assignment and police have harassed me. I mean, I've been on stories covering police brutality and police have harassed me. I've been in courtrooms covering murder cases and police have harassed me. It's never going to matter. It's never going to matter what you do, what you achieve, how much money you make, what you look like. If you black, it's going to happen. 
And that's just what it is. Can I can I ask, and you, you can say no, can you could you give an example of one of those times that you were harassed while on assignment? Um when I was covering uh the murder of Will Smith, the football player in the New Orleans Saints. Yes. The first time I went into the courtroom a few weeks after the incident happened for um a hearing for Cardell Hayes, the person who killed him. Uh the police up in there didn't think I was no journalist. You know, they the boys from CNN got in. They put their stuff down. They walked through. They look at me. They thought I was with the crowd. And so they made me take my laptop and my backpack off. I couldn't bring it into the courtroom. And I had to go across the street and give it to the bail bondsman and pay him to watch my shit all day. Or I wasn't going to be able to cover the joint. And so uh, I was like, y'all got me fucked up, man. I, I ain't finna do all that. I ain't, I, I ain't no sucker. You ain't, you ain't finna go down like that. And my man unhooked his, 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 his little pistol holder, grabbed on his shit. And he said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my shit across the street. Is, is what Jeez, I'm going to do. Jesus Christ. And so, but, but again, that was my first day on assignment. That was my first full-time job national story. And that was the first day. And so a lot of this stuff... If you talk to black journalists who cover crime, who cover politics, who cover activism, who cover, you know, anything really, this is part of the job. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a reason where I think it's a reason, you know, in sports journalism, I kind of don't really agree with a lot of the way a lot of folks cover it is because it's just it's too much fun to you motherfuckers. This shit for a lot of us, regardless of what you cover, it's a public service. It's a duty. It's people out there who look like me, who need their stories told. And so a part of the penalty of that is this. It is being harassed by police. It is going into protest zones occasionally. And somehow now it is this job. But no matter what it's going to be, you're not safe where you're going. Nobody thinks you're supposed to be there. And they look at you as a threat unless you have some commonalities. With that said, do you look back on your career now where you are? Because you're at GQ. And you've gotten to profile, I would say, pretty much any athlete you want to profile. Yeah, it's, been a, it's been a good year for talking to interesting people. Yeah, me, you were named like. Sports Writer of the Year by the big lead, which is the most prestigious honor that anyone could possibly <laughs> it's win. It's like getting a Pulitzer. Come on now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you look back at where you are now, and you're like, well, okay, all right. I, this is fucking great. I, I'm in, I'm in, are you impressed with yourself? I can't believe I'm asking you because <laughs> I know the fucking answer to it, but. I, I think it's tough, though, man. You know, I think you will be a fool to be in this game and be somebody not white in this game and think that you belong. And, you know, I, I find it always odd that several white people read me. Always odd because I'm never writing for white people. I, I don't think there's been a time since I've had a job as a national journalist, at least shit, since I've had a job as a working journalist that I've written for white people. And yet, white people fuck with me. And it is always a very odd thing. You know, I went to y'all little uh, defective party, you know, during Fashion Week. Coincidentally enough, I know y'all wasn't planning it for Fashion Week. I see how y'all dress. Uh, quite the <laughs> contrary. It was specifically for Fashion Week. And, uh, you know, rooms like that are always weird to me because I don't know if you a threat or if you're supposed to be the homie. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just, it's always going to feel weird to me. It's always going to feel know, weird to me. Uh, so, at, after our live podcast, the guy that um was at that party and then who also talked to you briefly actually talked to me about an engagement that he had with you there like you had a nice conversation he was loaded and at oh, one yeah, point he was, was just, smacked 
But he was just kind of doing the thing where, like, you're looking in the middle distance between you and somebody who's, like, two feet away from you. But, like, the, the mind is off. Like, it's just, like, a technical difficulty screen. And you apparently were like, like, do you want something? Like, do you want to, like, like, are you being aggressive to me right now? And the guy's like, no, no, my brain stopped. Sorry, dude. But it was, like, he was no, that's, that's exactly what starstruck happened. and then also, like, on the, the eight drinks mindset and was just unable to compute. Because that that's the thing, man, is that, like, it is... You know, you come from somewhere like North Philly, you you a little skeptical of motherfuckers who walk up on you. And so, I, you know, I'm at this this thing. I'm trying to drink these beers. And, you know, y'all, y'all ain't selling no high-class liquor, the type of places you motherfuckers take me. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, No, 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 not a chance. I can't get nothing nice. So I got, I'm drinking these beers. And, you know, the motherfuckers staring at me. And I, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm around a gaggle of white people. You know, a lot of these motherfuckers are staring <laughs> at me. Anyway. I got this OVO hoodie on. I look nice. But, I, you know, he to the left of me, and he keeps staring at me. And so I turn around, and, you know, I'm like, you know, more or less, what the, what the fuck you want? Why are you staring at me? You know, we got a fight? Like, what's up? And he was in between the thing, like you said, of, of being starstruck, which is hilarious, and also of being like, can we talk about Russell Westbrook for <laughs> <laughs> So... Oh, uh, that's great. That's great. Let's take a break and come back and, and delve into really stupid shit with Tyler Times. We'll be right back. We're back. We're back with Tyler Tynes and GQ. We're going to remember some guys, and we're going to open the fun bag. Before we do that, I did want to ask you one thing. You did profile AI for GQ right when he was rolling out a new weed business. Now, I profiled Snoop Dogg for GQ and went to the dispensary to get his special strain, and I got to smoke it with Snoop Dogg. Did you get to smoke up with Allen Iverson when he was rolling out his new weed? Well, see, Drew, your ass said you read it. Iverson say he don't smoke. So, but, you know, me, me and Al Harrington did smoke, um, you know, they, they definitely sent me a bunch of weed. Um, was it good? It is very fucking good. Um, yeah, it's like, great. you know, California does the little THC percentages on your shit. Uh, this was about 36. L- let me tell you something. I, I had me one of them Allen Iverson weed stories. I thought I had me some of that Allen Iverson weed. Um, <laughs> God bless them, whatever they're doing, because it's working. <laughs> uh, that's great. Let's time, it's time to remember a guy. You want to remember a guy, Tyler Tynes? Every week we remember a random athlete from your, and we picked one especially just for you. So would Sorry. you like to remember a guy? I'm sure this guy that you've picked is some sentient cigarette stain who played for the Phillies and like perpetually has, like I don't know, Italian hoagie stains on his wife beaters. So whoever this is. That's so close. Is, That's so close. It's former Eagles quarterback Mike McMahon. You remember Mike McMahon, Tyler uh, Yeah. Uh, Rutgers uh, legend. But Rutgers! Like, but vaguely. Vaguely. Our- that's that's the perfect amount of remembering Vaguely. Mike McMahon that I, th- I think is really legally allowed mm. uh, across the entire Northeast Corridor. Time for the fun bag. Wait, we're just going to stop talking about Mike McMahon? I just got back. I had to go that's get true. something out of the hallway. And that's now, true. I, I'm sorry. You, 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 got, you got something you, to say about Mike McMahon? That, that's your uh, people? Not, I mean, not exactly. Uh, I just wanted to be included. Also, I own a Mike McMahon jersey. That was one of, I think, probably a low point of the... <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, like late Are... 20s Davy shopping on eBay for jerseys after five drinks and just being like sort by price from lowest to highest. 
You can get it, a you could get a Mike McMahon Lions jersey for very affordable rates. Like maybe half what an Oz Hakim jersey was going for at the time. Oh, that's was disgusting. It, uh, that's disgusting. Yeah, it's not, don't, I'm not don't, proud don't, of don't, it. But don't, I feel like this is don't, this don't, is what don't the talk, listeners don't talk, don't talk around me like that, man. That just <laughs> it sounds like you got shit in your mouth. Come on, man. That's nasty. That's nasty, Roth. Come I on. Think that this is I'm gonna I'm gonna stand firm by my jersey there then. You still they, got it? Uh, what? no, I don't. Was it okay. an Eagles jersey or a Ruckus jersey? No, it was a Lions jersey. Oh, my God. Oh, Lions Blue. jersey. Yeah, That's I had right. a bunch of Lions quarterback jerseys. Those were uh, one of the best values where, where, in secondhand my, where, jersey properties. Are you, where, are you from Guam? Like, where are you from? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from a culture that values Charlie Batch jerseys. Obviously, I'm alone in that on this podcast. Now, well, is, now, uh, now, hold on. Charlie Batch is one of my favorite average quarterbacks, you know. Yes. Oh, really? Well, you know, yeah. you know, you know, let's remember a guy. You know, remember Charlie Batch. Well, he was he had like that i mean it's not he was the same good. type of player but it's the same sort of way that like being the 22nd best person in the world at any really difficult task is like that is an achievement listen it's I respect, just also like you're still got 21 guys that are better than you and they're all starting quarterbacks in the nfl i respect charlie bash because white people think the black folks is always supposed to be motherfucking exceptional and sometimes your ass is just average you are average yeah. ass motherfucker and i can respect charlie bash for getting super paid to yes. be an average dude carrying a clipboard. Y'all letting Chase Daniel go out here and make $36 motherfucking million dollars. Why my man Charlie Batch can't get $36 million to do the exact same type of work. That's all yeah, I'm while, saying. While we're talking about recent low points, I did go on, uh, what is it, Spot Track to just, while the Giants game was happening on Sunday, just to see how much money Mike Glennon had made in his life. And the number is, is astonishing. But it is, again, like backup quarterback money is some of the, the best money that you can make in sports. That's all I'm saying. Really, man. you just have to wear a hat. There are guys like Glennon and Mike McMahon that get drafted in like, it's not the first round, usually like second or third round, and they just sort of toil like second string or third string for a year or two. And you're like, I wonder what that guy can do. Like the local fans are like, wow, I really want to see what that guy can do. And then he comes out and he fucking sucks, but you're like, ah. Oh, well, just give him another year. Maybe he'll be all right. Though, is that that it still works? Like Glennon's not like he never even had like a Brock Osweiler period of competence. Like he was never good. But again, again, he this is what I'm saying. Thirty-two million dollars. This is what I'm saying. But the, the the job of the backup quarterback always goes to some goofy white guy. You know, we can't. I, like my kingdom for Dwayne Haskins <laughs> to have 15 years in the NFL just to be shitty and get paid yep. for it. That's all I want. Yeah, I think that's uh, the Chase Daniel dream is is one that we all have. Y'all got uh, this Mike Lennon long neck out here playing in the New York oh, metropolitan God. area. You better stop it. <laughs> Time for the fun bag. This is from uh, this is from Cole Tyler Tynes. He says, "I have a theory that Tom Brady has been mentioned at least once in every single NFL game broadcast this season, and that this has never happened before with another player in another season." If the Bucs are mentioned, it's Tom Brady and the Bucs. If the Pats are mentioned, it's starting to find their footing after Tom Brady. If the quarterback sneak is a run, we are told Tom Brady is the best at that play. If the NFC playoffs are coming up, you've got to say, don't forget about Tom Brady and the defending champs. Do you agree that Tom Brady has been mentioned at least once in every single NFL game this season? Even like Jags, Texans. These are the type of people that read your website. You asked that last time. And I'm, yeah. I, yes. I think I'm going to ask every time because every You've time. You've been to the birthday party. And I'm well, still you know confused. the answer is yes. I'm still confused. I'm still confused. <laughs> yeah, I think you, Cole needs you, to get drunk. This is, this is a ridiculous question. Um, I do agree with him, though. I think Tom Brady might have been mentioned <laughs> on almost every NFL broadcast that's ever been played. Even going back to the ones when, like, you know, old motherfuckers was playing. Tom Brady's name was being played <laughs> in those two. I, yeah, I, I, 
I, I think it's probably accurate. I also strangely don't mind it. I kind of let go of the Tom Brady hate. Uh, no, I still got mine cataloged. Uh, I've I've got worthier targets now on Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so Drew has transferred so. all of that energy to Aaron Rodgers. Listen, I have and plenty we'll of I got plenty of energy for races. I got plenty Good. of energy. I, I I admire that, and I kind of I feel like I'm falling behind in the haterade department. Come on, man! I'm a life I'm a lifelong hater. I come from a city of haters, a family of haters. You do. Come on, do. man! My mama is the is the is the greatest hater I ever met in my life. Why? What? what who does she hate the most? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna say, Doug Peterson. It's complicated. My mom is yeah. actually a Cowboys fan. Funny enough. Really? Oh, she is. She's a Cowboys fan. That oh. was a whole general. There was my grandfather was a Cowboys fan. That there are people I think that just it wasn't shamed appropriately. Maybe at the time, generations past, where you could just like adopt the. Well, Cowboys. I mean, Michael Irvin was doing cocaine in the locker room, man. Like yeah. you know, it was the biggest show in town. You know, people wanted to believe in this false idea of Americana, Texas. Big shit, football. People were excited about it. And it was also, you know, Deion fucking Sanders played for the Cowboys, man. We liked the white dude who was coaching that back there for the Cowboys. That was the only time the Cowboys had a shred of decency behind this sad, miserable franchise of fans who wear jorts and also root for the Lakers. Most despicable (laughs) pack of humans I think I've ever come across next to anybody who roots for a team, you know, north of New York and Massachusetts or Vermont or some shit. I, I just, you know... It just seems miserable. Just heat and humidity and nasty ass dark jorts as a fan base. Yeah, There's no way it. to say jorts with appreciation in your in your tone, but I don't think I've ever heard it said with less. I swear to God, G, GQ said that jorts were were coming back, and I, I can I'm not poking fun at GQ because I used to work there, so I, I still have ties there. But I swear I saw an article that said jorts were coming back in GQ, just not for like me, not in my yeah. GQ. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm over at Black GQ, so I don't. I don't this, is, <laughs> this is April. This is April 27th of this year. I ain't see the it. unlikely George comeback is underway. That's right. That's not Designers at my GQ. Have turned their attention to G to G. At my GQ, we still wearing sweatpants. All right, all right. I just, I, because if it were permissible. I would go get the Kevin Smith jorts that go down to the calf. Yeah, the culottes. Cool it's, 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 bad, it's bad enough you don't wash your whole body. You don't need no oh. jorts. You don't need no jorts to go with it. You're just pulling out a pair of longs and going to the gas station. Tyler, there's leg hair that prevents the dust from adhering to, that to my is legs. Not scientific. Listen, you, We've you, been over this. You don't got a lot of me. They ain't paying utterly, you a lot of me. It's utterly, utterly proven. This uh, is from Brian. <laughs> he says about a year ago, in an effort to stop drinking so much and sleep better, I started smoking uh, weed fairly regularly. Same. It worked nicely for a while. However, after a while, I began to develop the munchies wall high, and I ate everything in fucking sight. And I don't mean just a few potato chips or a cookie. We're talking entire bags of microwave popcorn, chocolate, cheese, ice cream, leftover dinner, basically anything that's edible. Is there any advice on how to curb this? Seems like I'm completely negating any health benefits of not drinking. Is there any way at all to smoke weed but not get the munchies or not indulge in the munchies tyler tines and david roth no i mean what else you what else you getting eye for dog i mean i yeah i didn't have a good answer for brian here like, what, like, like what the fuck you want me to tell you ain't your doctor you want me come, like like yeah what? just get just get just just eat chips man outside <laughs> outside sucks like what you want me to tell you want me to sit here and tell you want me to look you in your face and tell you not to go eat some chips after you don't hit the joint go ahead eat some chips man Stop well, it. What if there's like some sort of, is there some sort of healthy snack 
the cures the I, I ain't suggesting yeah. no healthy snack off the weed. <laughs> That's what people want this podcast to be. What is your favorite seaweed treat to eat when you're high? I know. The only I... advice I can give our writer I'm not Dr. is uh, to do, like, however you are, if you are smoking, if you're eating it, if you're whatever, do that before you cook. Then cook, then eat, which is yeah. How, do it uh, before dinner is is the move. I think that's yep. that's right. So, but then I mean, it still doesn't it doesn't work. Like you enjoy dinner. <laughs> like right. maybe if you're especially at the obnoxiousness level that my wife and I are at, then you like sort of talk about it, and you're like, I thought it was really like I like the little bit of acid. I thought that helped a lot. And then <laughs> later you eat chips. I mean, there's just not a way around that. But you can stage it such that like. Not everything you're eating is trash. Like some of it is is actual food. I mean, here's the other side of it. You could also just be high all day. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. If you are high all day, you do not have to worry about what you eat all day because it will just be regular food because you are high all day. Or or after dinner, you just temper the weed high with some heroin and you pass out. That's fine. I don't know what y'all do in your household, but yeah, Yeah, that's how you get down. The description of the Sam Perkins lifestyle sounded so much more wholesome, and then Drew was like, "You can always spike up." I, uh, I, I know I have those dinners where I'm like, I, even when I'm sober, I'll eat dinner and I'll be like, well, that was good. What's next? Like, I'm just ready for, all right, that was a good first course. But, you know, you want me to have one piece of lasagna? Like, come on, let's get it. <laughs> uh, this is from Daniel. He writes in, Tyler, how about from now on, instead of giving each NFL team three timeouts per half, the league apportions each team their annual allotment of timeouts at the beginning <laughs> of the season, a lump sum. Would a this work out, rant. Tyler Tynes? Y'all motherfuckers just sit in y'all house and think of this shit. Like, 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 like at, what, at what point do you watch a football game and you sit there and you say, yeah, you know, what if y'all just had 70 of these joints? What if, what if, what if you just get 70 and that's, like, what is this, Dungeons and Dice, man? This is football. <laughs> we playing football. No. Three timeouts. However y'all do them now, that's fine. All these timeouts at the beginning of the season. Like, what? Come on. Well, you're not you're not rolling with the fun bag, Tyler Times. You'd make a terrible improv partner. I just wanted. You to <laughs> He's on uh, the. It's, it's no and. I like it. It's, it's all. It's uh, always no and. Y'all got to know. This why. is from Sam. Y'all got to know why Sam writes in. Up. What is your least favorite overused term or phrase that has come out of the pandemic? I keep hearing unprecedented, and of course, out of abundance of caution, which are not strictly medical terms, but apply to the pandemic. I now rarely hear those phrases outside the context of COVID. Do any of those get on your nerves, and you're sick of hearing them, Tyler Times? What is the COVID phrase that is lingering that displeases you the most? Insurrection. Uh. <laughs> Look, man, I, I, I know January 6th was definitely bad. Um, a lot of this was preventable. Uh, but, you know, yep. all I'm saying is I, I, it was bad enough I had to experience it. It was bad enough I have to live with the spoils of racism every day. What's worse is hearing y'all white people who wasn't part of the shit try to criticize the other white people who was part of the shit. I wake up on Twitter every day and I see a David Roth type giving a dissertation hey, hey, whoa. to somebody oh, no. about why their granddaddy shouldn't have went to the to the insurrection. We come on, we know it was bad, man. I don't need I don't need y'all to lecture me on a Tuesday. This is uh my favorite part of the podcast last year, of the whole year in the podcasting, was when you said some shit to us that got us so paralyzed we just couldn't speak for like 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, you get there's a monologue at the end of it. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think like, that what you just said there, that that was the moment, of, that was the, the I don't have any really well, I will any say that I have, this is utterly I've reasonable. very purposely avoided posting about it because it is <laughs> cringe for the most part. Like, and also it's like, I mean, as you said, there's only so much that can really be 
upset about it in a meaningful way. I do think the term itself, as I've seen, like, I mean, certainly there was, like, something in the Times earlier this week that described it as, like, you know, like, the most devastating assault on democracy and centuries and stuff (sighs) like that. And it's kind of, like, like, by overstating it like that, I think you actually cheapen what was upsetting about it, that by, like, sort of pumping it up to make it this major national moment, like, because this is whatever like it can be both ridiculous and significant but you need to have both of those be in the equation at the same time like you need to see that these people are clowns and you need to see that they're serious at the same time because otherwise i don't think you're like telling the story as it actually happened and we're not even a year out from the shit yet like it's too soon to be making it myth to me that's what i'm saying man i i just I can't pick up a thing that I occasionally read news on or get jokes on and get, you know, a cover story on the Atlantic, but in these tweets. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, no, I have that problem too. I get fucking whiplash. The period of my life where I want to read about shit like this is kind of over for the time being. I'm trying to read about like some other shit, some happy shit. It's a lot of depressing shit going on outside my window. And so I, I just... Y'all don't have to explain to me why this is bad. And existing as somebody who has to watch y'all explain to y'all selves why it's bad, <laughs> it's just a bit tiresome. I'm pivoting my Twitter account in, uh, in 2022. I think you can already see the, the beginning of... Um, I'm trying to bring it back to like a 2015 sort of energy to me. It's just going to be puns. I think you should be like an intellectual pizza man. How, uh, how so? I would get mad at, like, bad news polluting my Twitter feed, and I'd be like, how dare people tell me that bad things are happening? What, whatever happened to positivity? And then i just sound like a <laughs> fucking, like, early aughts Black Eyed Peas song in my head. <laughs> annoyed at myself. Tyler Tynes, you are a fantastic guest, as always. Will you come back again? Yeah, I'll show up. I'll and, show up. And, and will you say... Will you say People really ask you these questions? Are these real questions? You have to do that every time you come. I off. mean, I mean, I mean, Drew, you gonna keep you gonna keep fucking with me, and I'm, and I'm gonna say some nasty shit to you. Is that's what you want? Cause that's cause that's that's what you're looking for. That's what you want. You say, yeah, well, that's, 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 that's good. That's good radio. That's just great radio. I mean, that's just the way. Managed to get through this entire podcast without another embarrassing hygiene revelation. So that'll, Tyler's gonna have to work harder. Oh, wait, for there's time. Next there's time. time. Well, let me tell you about the psoriasis on my kneecap that I'm picking at. <laughs> I've actually been picking at it. Like it's sort of bleeding. I get weird. All right. Uh, thanks for being with us. Our yeah. uh, producers are Brandon Nix yeah. and Kareem Wallace. And Dizzy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. They pay you listen to add free episodes of the distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com to while you're at. And also, Tyler Tynes is a GQ. And there's a new Defector podcast called Normal Gossip, hosted by Kelsey McKinney. That's out wherever you get your podcast right now. Right now. As well. As well. As right. So, Tyler Tynes, thank you again. And we'll see you guys all next week. All right? Bye. Bye.